It's so good to be with you, and I want to just say I am very humbled and honored to be here every time that I have the opportunity and privilege, which uh, I do not deserve, but to open the Word of God. I always feel the inadequacy in my spirit, in my mind, knowing of the task that the Lord has given me the opportunity to say and to do. So, Dr. Greenway, thank you for the privilege of being here, my friend. I'm grateful for you and grateful for this institution. I was thinking on the way over here this morning that all of hell has to shudder when it is reminded of all the men and women who've been trained and sent out from this place to uh, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so thank you, uh, Dr. Greenway, for this privilege. And, and I do want to remind you, students, as you came in, if you were not able to grab one, we have a gift for you today. There are T-shirts on the way out. If you'll just grab one, if you haven't, it's just a, a way of us saying thank you. We believe in you. We love you. And, man, we are in your corner as you go and pursue the ministry that the Lord has given you. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 a few weeks ago, I began praying and saying, Lord, what would you have me to share out of your word with these students who are being trained and equipped and being sent out for the calling that you've placed on their life? And I know that you come to chapel often and, and uh, you never get tired of hearing that we ought to go win the world for Christ, nor should you. You never get tired of hearing that we ought to study and love the, the word of God and stand on its uh, inerrant truth, we know that uh, we're to do that, but God began to stir in my own heart through my time with him a message that I needed to hear, and I've always believed that the greatest way to uh, preach a message is something that God is speaking to me before he speaks through me. And so really, I'm just opening up the curtains of my heart to show you today what God is dealing with me on when it comes specifically to the idea of leadership. God has given us all influence in our lives in which we are to be good stewards of. He's given every one of us platforms of leadership, whether it's a, a, a position at a church or a, a, an institution like this, or maybe it's just leading your home or, or discipling your kids. In, in, in all of these things, God has given us some form of influence and leadership. The question that weighs on my heart constantly is, am I the kind of leader God has created me to be? Am I the kind of leader that God desires for me to be? And we're going to find in this scripture where Paul is calling the Ephesian elders together. This is going to be the last time he's going to see them. We know that there is a great relationship here that has been formed. In fact, towards the end of the passage, you see where they gather together and it says that they wept bitterly before kissing him and sending him off. There was a, a, a mutual respect and relationship for this leader and these people. And so he calls the elders back together and essentially through the context of, of the text, he is going to walk down memory lane with them of his time with them before giving them some warnings about after he departs. One of the things I want to say to you this morning is what I've come to learn about leadership is this. Maybe it's not for everyone, but the cycle of leadership in ministry goes something like this. In your 20s, you want to be somebody. You're dreaming of where God would take you. You just, you want to be somebody. You don't, you don't even know who it is you want to be. You don't know where it is you want to go. All you know is deep down you want to be somebody. In your 30s, you know that you've got to work extra hard to prove that you're the person that your 20 said you want to be. And so your entire 30s, man, you're working day and night to try to become that person who you want to be. When you hit your 40s, all of a sudden you realize that God has already given you influence no matter what the context is. And 
your mind, I believe, begins to shift to say, here is the influence God has given me, the leadership God has given me, and I want to leave an impact with that kind of leadership. When you get into your 50s, I'm told, when you get in your 50s, you begin to shift to say, how am I going to leave a legacy? What is the ripple effect of my ministry going to be? And you begin to think about how to lead in that manner. And then when you are in your 60s and beyond, you begin to think, how do I finish well? And how do I transition well? You know, it's the cycle of leadership. It's the cycle of ministry. And if I could challenge you with one thing out of what we're going to see in this conversation that Paul has with these elders at Ephesus, it's, it, it's kind of a reverse engineering. And if I could say to you that our just beginning ministry, or young in ministry, if we could somewhat reverse engineer the conversation that we're going to see Paul having in which he is at the end of his ministry with these people. And as he's at the end of his ministry, he is reflecting on their time together. And if I could challenge you with one thing this morning, it would be this. If you could figure out in your life, in your mind, and in your ministry, how to begin your ministry with the end of your ministry in sight, it will change your ministry. Now, let me explain that. If you begin to think of how your ministry is going to end, and as we see this in the life of Paul here with these elders from Ephesus, if you begin to think of the kind of person you want to be and the, you want to finish well with your integrity intact and your character intact and the ministry that God has entrusted with you intact and you begin to view that now, then you begin to live and serve in such a way as to not jeopardize the ending that is of your heart. And so if I could plead with you today, it would be begin your ministry with how you want to end your ministry in sight, and I believe it'll change your ministry. Paul, in Ephesians, we find him as he's called these elders together. We're gonna find four things that he teaches us and gives us this unique perspective of looking back at his time of leadership with his church. The first thing we see about the marks of a great leader is found in verse 18. It says, and when they came to him, they said to him, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. As Paul begins this dialogue with the elders here, as he begins to walk down memory lane, he comes to a place where he says to them first and foremost, hey, you know how I lived among you. And I wasn't coming to you trying to impress. I wasn't coming to you trying to, 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 to make you think more of me than you should. He says, I lived a life among you. And the first mark of a great leader is simply this, the mark of authenticity that is not afraid to admit and embrace brokenness. Now listen to what Paul says. Of anyone, Paul could have given his resume of accomplishments. Paul could have given his resume of all the things that God had done in him and through him. Paul could have brought to their attention all the incredible things that happened through the church at Ephesus as he spent time with them. But what does Paul say? Paul comes to this place and Paul says, guys, here's the truth. I don't have to prove myself to you. You know what kind of man I was among you. You know that I lived with authenticity among you. But it doesn't just stop there. Here's what I love what Paul says. He says, it's not only that you know and you can prove yourself how I live among you, what kind of a man I was among you, what kind of a follower of Christ, a disciple, a teacher, a mentor. But listen to what he says. Well, what kind of man I lived among you the whole time 
from the first day I set foot in Asia, listen to this, serving the Lord with all humility, tears, and trials of what happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul doesn't just say, hey, I can prove how I lived among you. Paul says this, I'm not only living authentically among you, or I didn't only live authentically among you, but I did so with brokenness. I did so with humility. I think Paul was saying to these guys, guys, I did everything I could to lead you and lead you well, but I did not always get it right. And Paul here is giving us a great example of what a mark of a great leader is, and that is it's this mark of, of, of coming into grips and coming into uh, to, to the reality of your own humanity, which Paul says, listen, my time with you was not without trials. It was not without difficulties. It was not without tears, he says, but it was in humility. Man, if I could encourage you to take a lesson out of the life of Paul when it comes to being a great leader, I want to encourage you to do this. Lead forward in whatever ministry, whatever area of life God is going to call you to, lead forward in authenticity, but do so with humility and brokenness always within the forefront of your mind and heart. You know, I'll be honest with you, I've been in ministry now 20 plus years and I've honestly come to the place where I don't trust a leader who's never been broken. I just don't. Because I believe that God's pattern in the life that we see in Scripture through the lives of so many leaders is that God calls, he breaks, and then he blesses. In fact, I love following leaders who walk with somewhat of a spiritual limp, right? Because God either allows or causes everything in your life. And as God causes things in your life that you come into grips with your humanity and your weakness, and therefore in your weakness you draw close to the strength of God in your life, and you walk in humility, and you walk in brokenness, and you realize that you don't have the, all the answers, and you realize that you've not learned all the answers, and you realize that going forward that the best thing you can do is lead in humility and tears and brokenness then we begin to see God begin to shape you and I into greater leaders than we ever could be before. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. She says, we want to avoid suffering, death, sin, ashes. We live in a world crushed and broken and torn, a world that God himself visited to redeem. We receive his poured out life and being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him may then pour ourselves out for others. Listen, man, I could come up here and I could give you an incredible motivation speech, man. I, I, love, uh, I love football. I'm, I'm kind of got that personality of a football coach. But, but the truth is the greatest thing I could tell you is, is that your greatest asset in ministry will not be a skill learned. It will be coming to grips with your humanity. It will be coming to grips with your brokenness so that you then learn how to depend on the things of God and the presence of God and the power of God and the leadership of God as he gives you a platform to lead. So we see a mark, first mark of a great leader is authenticity that is not afraid to admit and embrace brokenness. Hey, listen, I don't stand before you as someone who hasn't encountered this. I've hammered this out on the anvil of my own heart and my own life through brokenness. There's been many a times where I've been broken and there's been a few times where I've been really, really broken. That God brings me to a place of really depending on him and really pressing into him as what I believe Paul is saying. Listen, I was with, with you in humility and tears and trials and there was opposition. There were plots out to take me out. There were plots against me. And Paul says, I could have, I could have risen up and I could have become some, some uh, a form of a warrior in front of you. But what you saw is you saw me cry tears of brokenness. You saw me walk with humility. 
and in my own seasons of brokenness, man, I, I had to reconcile in my heart that, that you can't equate brokenness and weakness together. No, in fact, when you are broken before the Lord, when he takes you through seasons of breaking you and bringing you to a place of humility in your life, then, then what begins to happen, friends, is that when you are at your weakest, the strength of the Lord begins to pour into your life. Therefore, you are at the strongest point that you've ever been in your own leadership. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, when I was with you, it was with humility and tears and trials. It was not without brokenness. The mark of a great leader is authenticity. He's not afraid to admit and embrace brokenness. The second mark that we see that Paul is, is walking down memory lane, reminding these guys of is found in verse 20. And he says, and I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house and testifying both to Jews and the Greeks of the repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So mark number one, marker number one of a great leader is authenticity that's not afraid to admit and embrace brokenness. Mark number two is this, a conviction that doesn't change with the circumstances. Now listen to what Paul says. He says, yes, I walked among you in trials and in tears and difficulties and, and in challenging times, but I never backed away from teaching you what was right and what was good, teaching you in public, teaching you in, in private and house to house. I never declare, I never, uh, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. When he says, or testifying to both Jews and Greek of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a mark of a great leader not only lives with authenticity and, and embraces brokenness, but a, a mark of a great leader is one who stands firm on the biblical convictions in which God has poured forth in his word. Here, Paul says, no matter what happened, I did not shrink. No matter what came my way, I did not back away. No matter what trials I faced, I did not waver in the face of adversity or affliction. I stood firm on what I taught you. I stood firm on pointing of to the repentance uh, to, towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as you go forward in ministry, there will be many whose convictions will change with the wind. You will see this. Some whose convictions will bend under the stress of cultural or societal or relational pressures. There will be some who will change their convictions for personal gain, yet there will still be some who will not waver when pressure arises, who will stand firm on what they believe. There will be some who will draw a line in the stand and drive a stake deep into the foundation of the truth of God's word. Let that be you as you go and lead in the way that God calls you to lead. Standing firm and not being moved by the persuasion of those seeking to get you to compromise on anything less than God's truth and God's inerrant word. Stand firm. This is the mark of a great leader. Dr. Al Mohler in a book called The Conviction of Leads says this, when a leader walks into a room, a passion for truth had better enter with him. Authentic leadership does not emerge out of a vacuum. The leadership that matters most is convictional, deeply convictional. This quality of leadership springs from those foundational beliefs that shape who we are and establish our beliefs about everything else. Convictions are not merely beliefs we hold, they are also beliefs that hold us in their grip. We would not know how, who we are but for these bedrock beliefs and without them, we would not know how to lead. Listen to what Paul says. Man, when I was with you, I proved to be authentic. I, in midst of trials and tears and opposition, 
I walked with you in humility. Listen to what Paul says. However, even in the midst of those trials, even in the midst of those difficulties, even in the midst of those moments, I never wavered from teaching you what was profitable, from discipling you from in public and in house to house, from pointing you towards repentance in God, both for the Jews and the Greeks, and to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul lays out another marker of a great leader is one whose convictions doesn't change with his circumstance. Third, we see that Paul shows us that not only is a mark of a great leader as his time in Ephesus reflects, not only is a great leader one who's authentic and not afraid to embrace brokenness, but also convictional, and it doesn't change with the circumstances. But third, Paul teaches us in verse 22 and 23 that, we are, that, that a great leader is resolved to advance the mission in times of uncertainty. Can I be honest with you today? If I would have, could go back to the beginning of my ministry, there's a lot of things I wish people would have told me. I served under the leadership of Dr. McKellar uh, for a season. There's a lot of things I wish now he would have told me, and there's a lot of things I'm sure he wish he would have told me. But the truth is, if I could go back and somebody could say, Nathan, let me just tell you one thing about life and ministry. One thing that may, you might have a, an idea, but you really haven't internalized, it would be this. Ministry is hard. Ministry is and as you go, whether you're going to be a pastor or a teacher or a, a professor or a missionary or, or, or whatever the avenue of leadership God is going to call you to, I can't promise you that you will get the results that you desire today. But what I can promise you is that you will go through season after season after season of difficulty and challenge. You say, now, Nathan, that is not good news. You're supposed to be motivating us. No, it is good news. Because in the face of trials, in the face of adversity, in the face of uncertainty, God's spirit empowers you daily to walk through those things. And when you are looking at an uncertain future, you can hold to the promise that God is in your tomorrow already waiting on you to get there. And as we look what Paul says, listen to what he says when he talks about a resolve that advances the mission. He says, I was with you in humility and tears and trials. He says, but I didn't shrink back from you. I never took a step back from who I am and what I believe. I did not bend or waver in my convictions. But watch what he says. And now I am going to Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, the only thing that I know, the only promise that I have, the only guarantee that the Holy Spirit has given me is that hardship is coming, affliction is coming, imprisonment is coming, difficulties and hard days and and grueling moments are coming. But listen to what he says. I am going to Jerusalem regardless. Constrained by the Spirit to go. Resolved in his heart and in his spirit that he is to advance the mission that God has put him on. Regardless of the consequences that would await him. Regardless of the circumstances of difficulty and trial. Students, can I tell you this? I can't promise success in the way that you measure it today, 
But what I can promise is that in the, in the calling of your ministry, there will be challenges, there will be afflictions, there will be hardships, and you have to have the resolve of the calling of God because, friends, if I can tell you something that's just absolutely truth this morning, it's this, that there will be times in your ministry that the only thing you have to go to is that calling that you got from God. There will be times where books won't help, friends, friends will try to encourage, but you will be so perplexed about the situation and the uncertainty that the only thing you will have is to get on your knees and say, God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but God, I know you called me to go into tomorrow in this calling. And here we see that it is a resolve that advances the mission of uncertainty. Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem. I have no idea what awaits me except the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit has testified to me in every city that what will await me are afflictions and even imprisonment. Let me ask this question to you this morning. When you think about your calling, when you think about the ministry God's called you to, what level of uncertainty would it take for you to back off the mission and ministry God's called you to? What level would cause you to shrink, to back up and say, man, maybe I'm not, maybe, maybe I'm not called to this. Maybe, maybe I'll ask it a different way. What level of known affliction would it take for you not to go forward? If you knew what awaited you, if you knew the struggle, if you knew the trial, how resolved are you to move forward in the mission that God has called you to? If you knew that God called you to the uttermost parts of the earth and, and you knew that you would ultimately give your life on the mission field, would you still go because you are resolved that that's how clear God has spoken to your heart about going? You see, Paul says, I am resolved. I am going no matter what awaits me. Friends, for many of you, the ministry God will call you to is to be a pastor. And I promise you, there's going to be a lot of days where you have to be resolved in the mission. There's a lot of days that you've got to go back to that calling that God has placed on your life. So Paul says, marker number one of a great leader uh, from his experience with the church at Ephesus is an authenticity that's not afraid to admit and embrace brokenness. Secondly, a conviction that does not change with the circumstance. Third, Paul says, a great marker of a great leader is a resolve that advances the mission in the face of uncertainty. And fourth, and this is where I want to camp out for the remaining part of our time, is that a mark of a great leader is a perspective that keeps what real, what, what's really important, what really matters in focus in our life. Now, watch, look what Paul says. I believe he sums it up in this. It's my favorite part of the entire passage. Paul says this in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here in his reflective conversation, Paul boils it down to what I challenged you with at the beginning. He is now winding it down. He is landing the plane and he says this, if only I could understand that my life is really of no value apart from the, 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 the power and the presence of God working in me and calling me and equipping me and walking with me through this journey he's called me to. Paul says this, I'm, I, my, his perspective is his life is of no value except fulfilling what God has called him to do. I heard a pastor say this 
last week. I, I thought it was great. I told him I'm going to borrow from him, Pastor Damon Halliday. He was talking about virtual reality versus reality. We live in this world of virtual reality. Just last night, my son was, had one of those headsets on, and he was boxing the air, you know, in and, and this virtual reality game. That's the world we live in. And, and uh, Pastor Damon was, was giving the illustration of, and I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've ever played John Madden football. I, I, I had one of the first games that ever came out. And, uh, and, and had it for years and years and years. And, and, uh, and you think about this with, with this, this virtual reality of John Madden football. Nowadays, you can get on and create your own player. You can put your name on the jersey. You can pick the, 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 the number. You can even pick the, the, the kind of cleats and the, the colors of cleats and the color of socks and how high socks go. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy what you can do today. You can have your person drafted first in the NFL draft. You can step into this game and play this game, and you can have your guy throw the, the, the single-season passing yard record. You can have this guy be better than Tom Brady and Peyton Manning combined. You can have this guy win the league MVP. You can even win the Super Bowl and have this guy in his first year be named the GOAT of John Madden football. But at the end of the day, that is a virtual reality. That is a false perception. The reality is you're sitting on your couch. And the truth of the matter is, for many of us, if we're not careful, we leave a place like this that has poured into our lives significantly and taught us and equipped us, and they send us out, and we go, and we are sent out, and we go, and we leave this place, and we have this virtual reality of ministry. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to pastor this size church. I'm going to get this title. I'm going to get this position. I'm going to serve in this capacity. And it's, and it's all virtual reality because the reality is, is, is much like you're sitting on your couch playing the video game. The reality is what Paul says here. I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. You see, a virtual reality ministry tells me I exist to get accolades and awards and titles and positions. The reality of ministry through the lens of God's eyes that we see in Paul is that our life is really worthless apart from the grace of God and the calling of God. And I implore you not to leave this place with a false perception of what success is in the eyes of God. Success is that every day we realize how feeble and frail we are and how desperate we need the grace of God. I would implore you not to pursue titles, positions, power, notoriety. Pursue him. In fact, if I can just be really honest with you, the older I get, the less impressed I am with myself. Now, my kids play football and I tell them the older I get, the better I was in football. I got to remind them of how good I was because they're coming up and they're going to try to challenge that or match that. But the truth is, the older I get, the less impressed I am with myself and the more I want to press into the things of God. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 as he parallels this passage when he says, I don't account my life of any value. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 4. 
Though I myself have confidence for the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Listen to his resume. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen, and I count them all but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen to this, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, they share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, listen, the right perspective in my life, my ministry, as he reflects with these elders is simply this, that in all the things I've done, in all the ways God uses me, it always comes back to this. My life is nothing apart from the grace of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the calling for me to walk humbly before him. Let me close with this. A few years ago, I had the privilege, as Dr. Greenway mentioned, to be a trustee with the IMB. One of the things that we got to do, and some of you are going to be called to go do that. Some of, some of you will be called to the nations. One of the greatest things we could do was we would pray for them but right before they were sent out. I'll never forget some of the prayers. Pray for me. Pray that no one from my people group dies before I get there with the gospel. I mean, it was prayers like that. And I'll never forget walking through the halls, if you've ever been at one of their facilities, and I saw this note hanging on the wall. In fact, I keep a copy of it in my Bible. It's from a young lady by the name of Karen Watson. Karen was a missionary on behalf of you, Southern Baptist. She was in her mid to late 30s when her life was taken from her on the mission field. This was a letter she hand wrote to her pastors and said, do not open unless I have passed away. I want to read this to you. It was framed at the IMB. I want to read this to you because this sums up everything we've talked about today. This sums up what it means to have the right perspective about the leadership God gives you and the life God gives you. She says this, dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. Listen to the next phrase. This sums it all up. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. Listen to this. She repeats this twice. His glory is my reward. His glory is my reward. Students, I love you, I believe in you, and I believe you're going to help change the world. I believe you're going to help take the gospel to the nations. You're going to help reach Texas and impact the world together. But I implore you as you try to be the greatest leader you can be, not to pursue that which is in vain, not to pursue that which fades, but to pursue him and his righteousness and his spirit and, and, and to pursue his blessings on your life, his favor on your life, his, his righteousness in your life, and watch what God does and never lose focus that it's not all for how many plaques and accolades you have, positions, titles, or even degrees. You know what it all boils down to? His glory is my reward.
I'm afraid a lot of people when they get to heaven are going to be disappointed that there's not a plaque on their wall that gives them all their titles. There's not a hall of fame of, of Baptist preachers or missionaries. It's simply child of God. His glory, my reward.